0: You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Good morning, everybody. My name is Gail, and I am a last-minute substitute for Luke, who is sick, so... But I'm always happy to be here, love being with you guys. Um, I was reading this story about Jack Handy from from a book that he wrote called Fuzzy Memories. And um, he was telling a story about when he was younger there was a bully that was always demanding his lunch money from him. And because he was smaller he would he would give the guy his lunch money, and then one day he decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to fight back. So he started karate lessons. But he said the karate guy started asking him for $5 a lesson. So he just went back and started paying the bully. <laughs> I, um, I think a lot of people default to paying the bully rather than learning how to defeat the bully and the bully that I'm talking about today is the bully of fear we started a new sermon series called this is greater than that and, um, and the reason we decided to do this uh, last summer was because there, we want to be in this process that, of God's transforming us God wants that for us. But in order for transformation to be this ongoing process in our life, things that are lesser need to be lesser in our lives in order that things that are greater might flourish in our lives. So, courage is greater than fear. Courage is greater than fear. So how do we get courage? Well, uh, the 13th century brilliant theologian Aquinas said that courage is both a habit and a spontaneous action. And what he meant by that is that we develop the habit of courage in small things every day so that when uh, there's a big battle that we need to be courageous to fight, it's a it's almost an automatic, spontaneous response because we have developed this um, before we got there. Um, To do this, I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. You probably all know the story. Uh, This this scene begins with uh, the Israelites' enemy, who are the Philistines at the time, uh, they're on one mountain and on the opposing uh, mountain are the Israelites they're facing one another they're, in an, uh, they're, they're at a standstill uh, they're deadlocked so the Philistines send in their champion Goliath and they're hoping that this will intimidate um, and cause such fear that in the Israelites that they'll win the battle um, Goliath is tall and strong and armed with the latest military technology, he's kind of a cross between the Hulk and Batman he's, he's, he's got it all um, he's um, he's wearing a, a, a helmet of, of bronze uh, they, the way they describe his, his um, armor, they describe it by weight and it weighs about 110 pounds or more um, he's carrying a humongous Spear about 25 pounds. I mean, he's just huge. He's 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 mega, and he's evil incarnate, and he scares King Saul and all the Israelite army to death. They they're they're paralyzed. They're immobilized by their fear. And at this point, David arrives on the scene. And he begins, he hears the, the threat, Goliath is making these threats, what he's saying basically is, give me a man, give me a man and I'll fight him and whoever wins, then the, the, that nation wins and the, and the losing nation will serve them. So David arrives on the scene, he hears the taunts, he hears the give me a man stuff, he observes the, the paralysis of, of, the, of his own people and he starts to ask questions. And that's where I'm in picking up. I'm in 1 Samuel 17, uh, beginning at verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before King Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag, in, in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 45. But David said to the Philistine, you come with me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Oh God. Would you teach us? Would you teach us how to be increasingly courageous. We want to hear you speak, Lord. We want you to form and transform us. So open our ears and our hearts and our wills and do your good work, we pray. Through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. There are giants in all of our lives sometimes the giants are a person a bully a teacher, a boss, a neighbor sometimes the the giant is something physical, a physical illness of some kind sometimes the giant is something internal Um, you really struggle with anxiety you're insecure Uh, you're lonely Uh, anger can be a giant judgmentalism Uh, Addiction, the strong need to to please other people. There are giants in our lives for sure. But when the giant dominates our thinking, it, it immobilizes us when the giant is the dominant and that's what happened with Saul and the Israelites right all they could see and hear was the size and the uh, sound and the strength of the, of the giant when the giant is the, is the thing that dominates your thinking you, you can't do much but cower so you don't make that phone call you don't have that difficult conversation. You don't um, make an appointment with the doctor or the counselor. You don't organize, get some people around you and organize uh, in order to try to defeat the the giant and bring him down. That's what happens when the giant dominates. Fear is a God-given emotion for sure. but when it dominates it paralyzes us <clears throat> so how do we get courage how, how do we get courage that becomes greater than the fear um, I want to talk about a couple of things one that we get courage that is greater than fear when we we develop a God-dominated imagination. And then, later in the sermon, I want to talk about the fact that we, we need to use the things that we have practiced in the name of the Lord, the power of the Lord. First, developing a God-dominated imagination. King Saul and... Um, and the Israelites are listening to the voice of the giant. And that's what they hear. When David arrives on the scene, we start to see something very different. When David arrives on the scene, um, he sees King Saul who by the way we're told in chapter 10 was a tall man himself Um, when he's introduced to us in the scriptures the scripture says he's heads and shoulders above everybody else Um, Goliath probably is not as tall as sometimes is depicted in in the children's stories that we learned he was probably about 6 foot 9 which was tall he would have been taller than the others but Saul was tall as well. So we're surprised um, that he can only hear the voice of the giant. David enters the scene he starts asking questions and uh, the first thing that happens is his older brother who is part of the army starts cutting him down um, trash talking him in some ways and David turns away from him he doesn't listen to that negative voice. Saul, he, Saul calls him, he, he meets with Saul, and Saul wants to dress him in um, Goliath like armor. And, and that's not going to fit David. So he doesn't listen to Saul either. Because the problem is, if he listens to his older brother and the Israelites and Goliath and even Saul, he is going to catch their fear and he will be just as immobilized and paralyzed as they are, right? I was reminded this week, um, actually by Luke, Luke was reminded this week of something that Tolkien writes in his third uh, book. And he writes it about little Sam Genji. He describes him this way. He knew all the arguments of despair and he would not listen to them. He knew all the arguments of despair and he would not listen to them. David did not listen to them. Friends, sometimes we need to be really careful what voices we listen to. I think especially when it comes to wanting fear to be lesser and courage to be greater. What David does is he he grabs onto his God-dominated imagination. And he thinks back, the Lord has delivered me from the lion, the bear... He'll deliver deliver me from this giant. Who's more powerful? God is more powerful than this giant, David is saying. God is way more powerful than this giant. Um, He's not cocky. He's just confident and bold, right? Right? And he has this God-dominated imagination. That's actually Eugene Peterson's phrase. We need to acquire a God-dominated imagination. The moment we permit evil to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think, shape our responses, we at the same time become incapable of seeing seeing the good, the true, and the beautiful. In his book, Fear Not two weeks of living boldly into God our friend Don Catus actually wrote this book and it's like a daily devotional for 14 days on courage but in um, he gives different practices uh, to to develop the habit of courage and on one of them he says keep a journal or a notebook by your side wherever you go every time you experience fear doubt worry insecurity take a moment to write that down that thought you're telling yourself you need to worry about these things, but that's a lie. Label that fear as a lie and write the truth about the situation three times instead. That's a way of, trying, uh, of retraining your brain. Your brain has been taught to dwell on certain fears or insecurities. And by, you're training, you're, by writing this down, you're, you're retraining your brain. Use each of these times as a moment for brief prayer and give your fears over to God and ask him to help you live authentically, planted firmly in faith. Would you say, if I ask you, would you say God is faithful? If you would say that, don't just say it, but act on that. Step out in courage, knowing that God is faithful and what happens is daily after daily after daily we're building a habit, a new habit in the place of an old one is God faithful in this area where I'm anxious do you believe it then act on that and in the small ways that we act we're building up so that we can be spontaneously responsive Um, I think a lot of people practice courage more often than we realize. Think about a woman who gets out of bed every single day after going through a painful divorce. That takes courage for her to do that. Uh, A a boy that struggles to do his homework, but he stays at it, even though he's really wrestling with dyslexia. Um, a, A woman who has a courageous conversation with a boss or a a difficult conversation with a direct report or somebody in their small group or sharing your faith with somebody who doesn't share your faith and is different from you. Staying when everything in you wants to run away. Those are courageous acts practicing courage in the small things we're building a habit we're building a habit notice um, in the the scripture that David reframes the threat of the giant Saul and the, the people of Israel are frightened to the point of paralysis because in their minds God is irrelevant to this battle But David introduces the Lord, the living God. When he's with Saul, he says, the Lord delivered me, the Lord will deliver me again. And then when he is face to face with Goliath, and he makes this long speech with Goliath, it's bathed with the living God here. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord is going to change everything. Who is more powerful, Goliath or the Lord? In David's mind, it's, it's not even a question. What is more powerful? Your fear of failure or the Lord? What is more powerful? Your fear of conflict or the Lord what is more powerful your fear of making the changes you feel like you need to make or the Lord as we cultivate a a God dominated imagination reading scripture spending time in prayer taking steps to, to move into that which is courageous and true the Lord helps us in all of that use what you've practiced in the name of the Lord Saul wants David to fight in his armor Um, and when he doesn't that, that takes real courage I mean this is the king he serves the king this is an important respected man um He's there to serve the king. It's not easy to not do what someone important and someone you respect is asking you to do, right? And Saul has David's best interest in mind. I mean, it's, it's all Saul knows, right? Sometimes, though, um, when especially when we're fighting certain. Giants. I think our tendency is to get advice from other people. We read books. We go to seminars. We talk to people who have fought similar battles. How did they do it? And so on and so forth. But in the end, we have to be authentically who we are. And we have to listen to the Lord and do what the Lord says. And to to be comfortable with who God has made us with the experiences God has had he'll put to use the things and the experiences that we've had in the past things that we've been practicing that are unique to us David is authentic to himself he he has one of these so picture kind of a leather pouch in here um, this is my makeshift sling shop. <laughs> and there's a leather pouch in there. And he, he has one of these. And it, it, he's he brought it with him. And he knows how to use it. And it's kind of a funny scene, actually, when you think about it. The um, We've got the giant. Um, Luke was over the other day, and he's joking with me that this... Giant with this bronze helmet on on his head, and he's got 125 pounds of armor on him, and he's twirling this two by two sized um, sword or spear um, with a with a 25 pound iron point on the end of it in his hand kind of like it's a baton and he's got a caddy who goes in front of him and carrying his shield because it's too big uh, for him I guess or something and and then you've got David he's got a few small stones and a a couple of shoelaces carried together (laughs) tied together and the Lord And for David, that's enough. For David, that's enough. That's all he needs in order to be able to do what he knows that God is calling him to do. If we're going to win battles with giants, we've got to be confident in who we are in Christ. David got that right. He knew who he was, and he knew who God was to him. He got it right. But notice what he did before he approached the giant. I picture him kneeling down at at the wadi or the wash. I picture him kneeling down. I, the text doesn't say he knelt down but I think you'd have to bend your knees to get down there and I like that image because I, I picture his brothers and King Saul and the entire Israelite army watching as he kneels down he's first and foremost a humble servant of God First and foremost. And he'd experienced God's strength in the past. And he knew God was with him there. And he was zealous for God's reputation. Did you hear how he said, I want the whole world to know that there's a God in Israel. And I want all of Israel to recognize who this God is. He's zealous for that He's passionate for that. He's learned to trust God through his understanding of scripture and as he's worked in his work day after day after day and God has been with him as he's shepherded his sheep. He's learned to trust God. That's the most important thing you and I can ever do in our life. To put our... Life in the hands of God and leave it there. It's the most important thing we can do. David's world is in chaos. He's got the giant there taunting him, everybody else. He's got his king who's Anxious and all of Israel who were paralyzed by their fear. And then we've got non anxious David who kneels down by the brook and introduces God into the story. He faces the giant. the giant taunts him they go back and forth and back and forth and eventually he takes that sling and he lets that rock fly and it hits the only place that isn't covered by armor right in the middle of the forehead and the giant goes down it raises a question that's important for us Are we going to live life from our knees, personally? Or are we going to live life more conventionally, knowing about faith, knowing about God, but it being really much more second or third hand? David's knowledge is personal and it's firsthand. And he comes in the name of the Lord, the power of the Lord. That's what that means. He comes in the name of the Lord, the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord was in the valley of Elah that day. The power of the Lord is in the center of every place in the whole wide world, including in the center of your own world. The power of the Lord is in the place where you will go to work later today or tomorrow. The power of the Lord is in your home. The power of the Lord is in your neighborhood. The difference between believers and unbelievers is that believers know that and trust that. I've always wondered why five smooth stones... I mean, it only took one, right? I've always wondered why he picked up five. He, he was so full of faith. And, um, but I, the text doesn't tell us, which I always or often find um, gives me an opportunity to speculate on why. And I think that it might be because it's always good to have a backup plan. I think maybe he picked up five stones because fighting lions and bears, he would learned that sometimes it takes more than one stone. It takes sometimes more than one round of chemo to get the cancer. Sometimes it takes more than one gesture to heal a broken relationship. Sometimes it takes more than one hard conversation to make progress in a conflict sometimes it takes signing more than one petition to change an unjust law so don't give up on the habit of being courageous live life from your knees kneeling at the source of living water Jesus Practice stepping out courageously in the things that you're struggling with. And do it all in the name, the power of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Lord God, we...